Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about asymmetrical games. We're talking about games where the, the players have different experiences based on which role they play, which character they play, and it's it's not like, oh, this player has a different ability. No, we're talking about games that are vastly different, pun intended, uh, from, <laughs> from each other. And we're actually talking to the designer of Vast, Mr. Patrick Leader. So, Patrick, really appreciate you being on the show. No problem. It's very exciting. Yeah, and so... Uh, you- just to warn your audience, I am doped up to the gills and antihistamines right now. So let's do this. <laughs> it's going to be great, man. And if you say something crazy, I'll either cut it out in post-production or if it's really funny, I'll definitely leave it in. <laughs> Good enough. Yeah. So let's let's give the, the listeners just a bio. Who are you? How'd you get into games? And then we'll talk about Vast and all that. But how did you just kind of get into the design hobby? Oh, uh, about... 15 years ago, I had a friend who was working um, as a video game developer in uh, Denver. He just designed a board game. We played it. It was like in 2000, so it was just after like Euro started hitting the U.S. And I was like, Ryan, that was fun and really easy to do. So um, <laughs> really easy to do. I'll put <laughs> not anymore. But yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, so we, we designed a few board games together, and that's that's how I got started in it. Gotcha. And now you, now you run your own company, Leader Games. And yep. so kind of tell me about how that got, got going. Yeah, so um, I've published um, three games at this point. I published, and I've been, you know, I've done some print and play stuff before that. Uh, I uh, worked with a publisher, James Manthe, um, who uh, owns Minion Games, to publish my first game, Five Fingered Severance. And then I, when I saw Kickstarter kind of taking off, and I saw like Flashpoint and... Um, eminent domain takeoff and how, how those were doing, I decided to get involved. And so I did my own card game called uh, Trick or Treat and didn't make much money. I think like the project was $3,500, uh, but it kind of taught me the ropes, which is what I was you know, trying to learn, like how to, how to actually import things, how to produce something, how to sell it. Um, and then, um, and then I went from there. And then um, one day I discovered this fine young gentleman named David Somerville working on this game called Trove. And I saw the potential in it, and I made him an offer as soon as I could. Um, and uh, five or six months later, we started working together on it. Gotcha. And then that game is vast, right? Yeah, and that game is now vast, yeah. And um, we did two Kickstarters, one to print the first round, second one to print the second round. Um, second one was kind of born out of necessity because the money I had set aside for the reprint was uh, put into a reserve account by PayPal. And I needed uh, to raise more money to continue the print printing. Yeah. We added a bunch of features during it during the second print run, um, and that really got everyone going. So we ended up with a lot more money than we did the first run, which I was not expecting. Yeah, it's a good problem but, to have. Yeah, it was it was a good problem to have. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting because the problems scale with the money. You know, right. like maybe I sent out forty damage, like replaced forty damage games like last time, and now we have a list of you know probably 200 300 that right. replace so more money more so. problems man it's more money more problems indeed. <laughs> as the wise old biggie small said <laughs> and so let's let's talk about that actually backing up going back to the paypal thing um, yeah can you go into that real quick because that's something i've heard people say 
a number of times in different yeah. avenues, different okay. businesses. So explain exactly what happened just so people can be aware of the risks sometimes working with PayPal. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, and, and, and frankly, like if people have said to me, well, you need to work with square cause they don't do that. And then I, you know, I went and did, I went and read up on them and, and square can do what they did and, right. and Stripe can do what they did. So, and I, you know, I'm like, I might be wrong. Like, like, don't sue me, Stripe or Square. But uh, you know, it, it seems like it seems like the same things could happen. It's just you hear about it more because PayPal is much larger. Uh, but what can happen is if uh, PayPal, the terms of service say that you have to deliver. If somebody orders a product from you, it, it's expected that you'll have it like in the mail within three weeks. Like mm-hmm. that's that, and it is a good customer. Like it's a good. It's good for the customer, yeah. right? You know, like you can't like if you're going to get ripped off, then they come and get the money back. And I didn't understand that, so that's a little bit on me. Um, and basically, what they can do then is, if you have a lot of, uh, if you have a lot of debt that creates li- or if you have a lot of money that creates a lot of liability for them, because they can, at any time, someone that's been uh, that's ordered something can request the money back within six months, and so PayPal has to pay that. So what they do is they go into your account and reserve money for that that back pay, um, and basically, they they didn't really have time to research it. So they just took everything. Right. Um, and even, even money that I count as being mine because it was based on direct sales at conventions and, and or units that already shipped because they were direct sales when I, when I sent them and uh, you can send proof back to them. But the problem with it is that the department that researches like, you know, their customer service department probably has 2000 people working in it. And right. there's 10 people who do this. Uh, or maybe five people who do this, and so there just is you don't get a lot of traction. And it's I I I feel like the system is intentionally designed to be con- confounding because every time I call, I get a different person, and I have to start the whole right. story over. And it's uh, you know at some point you just give up. So I all the money is now like um, older than six months, so that no one could request it anymore. In fact, I don't even know how I'm gonna like. I, I literally can't refund people. Like some people have asked for their money back that's more than six months old. I don't even know how to do that. And so at this point, I should be getting the money back. I just need to follow up with them and, and get the money back. So, so they still have about $45,000. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, working with board games, you're talking about pre-orders that are longer than three weeks. You know, you're dealing with three yeah. months, yeah, six absolutely. months, a yep. year out. And so yeah. anybody listening to this, just be aware, go in there and read the terms of service for PayPal, for Stripe, for these right. other companies, and just kind of know what could happen. Because this has happened to a lot of people in, in board games and other uh, businesses as well, yep. where PayPal just says, you know what, you can't use this money. I, it might be yours. We don't know. We're going to cover our backsides and uh, we're going to hold it. And that could yeah. run you into a very, that could, that could destroy your business. I mean, that could destroy your right. cash flow to a point where well, you, yeah, yeah. you go out of business. And forty thousand is yeah that's that is not a trivial amount of money for no. me you know like that's 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 pretty rough I I know that like the uh, what was the the Portal Games they had the um, they had like two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand yeah. get pulled for the pre-orders for is it uh, it's like the follow-up to Robinson Crusoe it's like settling Mars or something something oh, Mars Martians first Martians yes yeah. yes and uh, sorry. I'm on I'm on antihistamines. <laughs> Normally I have pretty crisp memory. And yeah, and so then, you know, like like three hundred thousand, that's a very serious issue. Like <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be able I wouldn't be able to deal with that. So Right. Awesome. Well, you know, that's that's great business advice for anybody listening. But let's get back to the topic at hand. Let's be Absolutely. Let's, let's get into talking about asymmetrical games. Let's talk about Vast. Tell me the origin. Like you, you you spoke for a moment about kind of the origin, but tell me like the bigger picture how it came to be. Right, right. So, and it, this is all like paraphrasing from what I've talked to David about it. Um, 
and he might like maybe I should have had him on with me. He might be able to correct it. But basically, what David was doing was he was he started out designing a solo dungeon crawler, as far as I understand, or maybe it was two player. And as he designed it, he asked himself, you know, there's plenty of dungeon crawler games like Descent or um, Imperial Assault where the where the bad guys are played by the by one of the players. And he asked himself, what if what if the the other player wasn't playing like kind of the dungeon master, but was in fact playing the the goblins and the monsters? What yeah. like what if he was trying? I mean, in Descent, you are trying to win, but I still feel like you are building the story more than you're actually moving pieces in a way that'll make you win. Right. And and so that's what he started working on was he started working on a, a, a simple model of how to make it so that the goblins were actually pursuing and trying to kill this other player. Um, and as a victory condition, he added on that there would be this dragon piece that the goblins would eventually be obliged to bring onto the table, and the dragon then would maybe eat some of the goblins. I, I think that was kind of hand-waved because it, it cost so many goblins to bring them out, so that was just, that was like the cost of right. that was him eating eating the goblins. And then the once the dragon was revealed, the dragon would try and escape play, and um, and if he escaped the cave and got away for the night, then he would win the game. So he had a fine two-player game going there. And at some point then he said, well, what if, like, why does the dragon have to be part of this hierarchy of monsters and goblins? Let's just make that a player. And he started working on, on how to make this a three-person game. And I don't know where he came up with the idea for the cave, but, but from a marketing standpoint and from, like, a gameplay standpoint, that was, like, the aha, you know, stroke of genius. Like, someone is manipulating, controlling and manipulating the map and and they are the map and, yeah. and so and, and so now it's this it's not just the goblins working together with this dungeon environment the dungeon environment may actually be working against the goblins at some point in the game um and then and what he threw together after that is he's a graphic designer and his like his presentation of trove was so amazing and it, it was it was like this weird like when i first read it and it was like this weird commingling of everything I loved about D&D from the 80s, like back when I played it, versus this like kind of modern game um, meeting together. And then like, and even some chess, like some of the pieces just had this very elegant, like you pick it up and you move it here and you turns over. And it was great. I was, I just was instantly in love with it. And um, when I started playing it, it was, we realized that it was very swingy um, and needed some, needed some tuning. But what what was there was just a really solid concept that I, I felt like I could have a really good time selling. So and I still really like it. So <laughs> yeah, and know, and you make a great point with the marketing because when the first time I ever heard of it, somebody said, "Oh, this is a game where you can be a knight, you can be a goblin, or you can be the dungeon. You can be yeah, the yeah. cave." And it's like, wait, what? And that really hooks people in. Uh, and, and and I feel like the game does a really good job of of having these very different roles and feeling different different experiences. And it's just a, a really cool game overall. And I love that I love that it started with what if. Well, what if somebody was the goblins? What if somebody right. was the dragon? What if somebody was the cave? And then figuring out those what ifs and how to make it how to make it work. And so so you bring the game in for development and you go into the playtest. And let's talk about the playtesting, because playtesting an asymmetrical game can be a bear. It can be so difficult because right. there's so many things that could happen. And what if this edge case runs into this edge case? So tell me about the playtesting and maybe what you guys did or your process. Right. I love Vast and I like playing it and I'm glad people like it. And I'm, you know, obviously since I'm making a living doing it now. Right. Um, I think like if I'd started from the ground, I would have been more careful about there are a few more exceptions that I'd want. And, I, you know, like 
we went through and tried to harvest them out and then you'd be like no nope, you really need this here because if you don't do that x is going to happen right. yeah i mean it was it was definitely very challenging to uh to play test I, I i printed a set out in uh december of 2015 and started working on it in earnest um i'm sorry january of 2015 and started working on it and i had like the first 48 hours i owned the set that i have that I first had, I probably played it five times during that timeline. Uh, I just, I just loved it. Even though like the goblin turns were very long and and there was there was other issues, I just I loved how the game played and I really enjoyed it. So yeah, we just like I converted my RPG group into playing Vast. I played Vast with my my board game group. We got we wanted to get the game down to the point. One of the like. It is playable in 90 minutes. I don't know if people believe me. Um, <laughs> uh, and that was one of our goals, was to get it down to the point where we could test it twice in one session. Yeah. Uh, it's, that helped a lot. And then we built a work in progress thread on BGG, which is, I think, like David's a, a huge contribution to the project was that he had this work in progress thread going and people were printing it and playing it on their own and, and giving him feedback about the game. And so those two combined, I had a lot of, I had a lot of, uh, I could see into a lot of games and I had a lot of uh, insight into how to fix the game. So, but what, what was interesting about it was that I got, I learned how to uh, prototype changes very quickly. And um, what we we're finding was we were constantly struggling with play balance. Like, the, I mean, obviously that's, that's, that's the crux of the issue, right? Is that how do you how do you balance especially if they can drop in and out of the game how do you balance all these roles together right. and not you know not drop in and out of the same game but you can play with any roles from the start of the game yeah. and so we worked on it and we worked on it and we worked on it and it was very frustrating because every time you change something you have to retest everything and every time you change something like it was it would just amaze me like we we made a change to the goblins one time that completely ruined the dragons game and and it was we were we didn't even think about it you know we didn't even consider it until it was, until we were mid game we we're like oh no this game is going to work anymore, and so one of my friends said, let's stop balancing the game. Then hmm. I was like what you know what are you talking about? Of course we have to balance it. And he said, let's just get the game as simple as possible and as playable as possible and not worry about the balance right now. And so we started working just on that, as simple as it can get. And once again, I'm sure there's somebody listening going, well, it could have been simpler or <laughs> um, <laughs> or whatever. And it, it's fine. I mean, that's kind of like how heavy you want a game is really a strong, very subjective like quality in a game that you want. You know, like I, I'm sure some people want the game to be deeper. I've actually heard that, and I'm sure some people want the game to be lighter. So I picked a line that is comfortable with. Yeah. Um, I, it has an amount of detail that I enjoy playing with, and I think it gives you a lot of grist for your decisions. Um, and so we worked on that. We worked on we worked on just making each turn flow very well, and that helped testing a lot because then people weren't getting frustrated in testing; they were enjoying testing more, even if the game wasn't balanced. My group, my play group, doesn't really care about balance. Like they, like someone said to me, if the knight only wins five percent of the time, then that's going to make that knight win that much more special to me. Like, mm, it, yeah, you know, But obviously, I can't sell the game that way but that's that's how we talked about it and uh and then and then we worked on this quality that what we call transparency and what transparency is to me is that when you're playing a game if you're playing for instance puerto rico and you're like well if i take the captain 
he's going to take the craftsman or he's going to take the the um the builder and it what it what it is then is that by by looking at the decisions you make you you have insight into the other players turns that you can like you know what they're going to be doing and you can look into their turns and make decisions for yourself based on what you think your opponent is going to do right and for a, a non-asymmetric game that's much easier to do, right? Like you are all playing with kind of the same setup, so you kind of understand what the other players are going to be doing. Um, but in Vast, where there, where the, everything's very different, you had to make the game each little game, uh, the five rolls being a little game, simple enough that everyone, you know, everyone else could look into each other's turns and make decisions based on it. And, you know, and I think I still have people say like, I don't know what the goblins are doing. I just assume they're doing it right. You know, like, <laughs> so, uh, and I, then we make them play the goblins. And they're like, oh, now I get it. And so we worked on that, and then once that was done, it was much easier to balance because then when we had discussions about balance, people would be like, "Well, you did this with the dragon, and it did it had this impact on the game. So you know, why did you do that? Or like, what you know, what can we do to fix that issue if it's an issue or whatever?" And then balance became a lot easier to work on. But I, I we play tested a lot for four or five months after I switched over. Once I switched over as designer and. Uh, right around May of 2016, we had this game that was super tense. Everybody, within five turns into the game, everybody knew that they were on track to win. There was a lot of, like, it got very hot and well contested at the end. I won as the dragon, and I literally had to wait. At, I didn't have the cards to win, and I couldn't move towards the entrance. I didn't have the cards to win. I couldn't move because I would die. So I just had to wait a turn. And it was the tensest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Like, because I was like, oh my God, is it going to get back to me? And then I, you know, and then I ended up, I, get, I got the right hand and I won. And it was, I, I was like, this is it. This is where, like, everyone is on each other's heels at the end of the game. And that's what we want to want to play. And if the game works for people, if people read the rules correctly and play correctly, that's the comment I get the most is, I'm amazed you were able to design this four or five player game where everyone's playing very differently. And I, felt like everybody had skin in the game at the end of the game even the night like the night i think is the like can have the worst like swings like she can do three health damage to the dragon one turn and win and so like it looks hopeless like it looks hopeless up, up right to the last turn and then suddenly she can turn it around and so that like so I, I just i just love that like how it all how it all ended up coming together like that so yeah no it's great to have those moments where like the tension, like you're saying, where you're almost like the stand-up dice roll kind of moment, or there at the end, yeah, like, this yeah. is it, this is the last one. We know whoever wins this is going to win. I love that. I love that experience a whole lot more than like pushing stuff around and looking at charts and looking at, oh, this gets me double victory. No, I, like I want to have this moment of like, holy crap, am I am I going to die or am I going to win? And and it's amazing right. that you guys have been able to figure that out with four or five players and like you said everybody from the beginning says i have a chance to win and even at the end pretty much everybody's like man i could win this game if these things happen if i can get these cards whatever yeah. but let's unpack just a few of the things that you were talking about sure yeah now you're, you're talking about balance i think it's a lot of wisdom you brought up in saying you know what let's just get the game right let's make it flow let's make it as fun as possible and then we'll worry about the balance because you're right it can be so easy to to miss the forest for the trees, so to speak, and get so caught up right. on the little details and saying, okay, well, if this is worth two, then this over here needs to be worth three to make it balance, whatever. But I guess the biggest thing is find the fun and then figure out the balance later because balance a lot of times is just perception. It's what the players right. think is balance, not necessarily what 
what is balanced. And, and so uh, is that kind of what you ran into as well, where it's like, okay, maybe the game's not balanced, but as long as the players think so, we're good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there might be some of that, knock on wood. Uh, actually, there's a group on BGG who's been playing primarily four or five player, and they report all their wins. Mm-hmm. And I am surprised how close they are. I'd like to see more data. I'd like to see what um, they're. They're pretty close to split mm-hmm. even. Uh, you know, of course, they'd have to play hundreds of games <laughs> right. for sure. But so, whatever. If you're listening, group, get on that. Play a hundred games and get back to me. Right. Yeah, I, the perception is important. And then, of course, like all games with four or five players, especially in a war vein, you know, like which essentially at the heart, that's what this is. Um, there is a. There's going to be some balancing anyway, because people are going to are going to take down the leader. Right. And it it's interesting, like because some people once again another strong preference among reviewers. Some reviewers, and some people have written comments on BGG, do not uh, like that. Mm-hmm. They think that's not a way to balance the game. And some people are like, that's fine. That's that's how you had to do it. So um, that's that's what we ended up with. It's funny. I did actually get a comment from somebody who said something like, having the game be close is actually quite tedious and. Um, Nobody in the group likes it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you get full range. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and then go back to playing something where you can stomp each other to the curb. And, right. Uh, it'll be okay. So, um, and I, you know, and I, it's not every game's for everyone. I don't expect, right. I don't expect everyone to enjoy Lord of the Rings yeah. as a novel. And, you know, I mean, I, I do, but um, obviously there are people who do not like fantasy literature. And, and, and it's the same thing for games. Like, if you want to play a light card game, then don't play Vast, obviously. Right. So, Well, a game for everyone is really a game for no one. Like, right. You know, that's it's just kind of how, how it is. You try to please everybody, you're going to please nobody, and probably yeah. not even yourself. So don't even try to travel down that road. Another thing you brought up was cutting time. You, you talked about, you know, you needed to figure out ways to cut time. So what were some of the right. things y'all, you did to make the game speed up, to make it faster, to make turns shorter, whatever it was, to cut that time down? Sure. Or... or or even having a consistent time because the <laughs> right. uh, the the original the cut I got of the game the um, the dragon was killed he had a bunch of power cards in his hand and it it was an interesting like it was interesting to me every time he got hit he'd lose a card uh, out of his hand and then he would lose a health and one of the cards was just you die <laughs> like, like the dragon you know the knight got the lucky hit and and killed the dragon. And so if the knight like was at strength three or three dice back then, the the knight would pull three cards from the dragon's hand. So sometimes the first time the knight got a shot on the dragon, game you know, over. boom, game over. Sometimes I saw like like the moment that we decided to cut this mechanic was like one of my friends got eleven tries on the dragon's hand <laughs> and didn't hit, and I was like, well, that's you know at this point like like from a narrative standpoint, from a game standpoint, I feel like you should be dead. Like this, this shouldn't be happening right. over and over. And, um, and so that's where we started. That's where we started talking about, um, about how to, how to cut that. So, yeah, I mean, obviously that's, that's it is that you have to, you have to be willing to say, you know, for the sake of flow, I like this mechanic, but we need to cut it. I like this mechanic, but we need to cut it. And to that end, I hired a developer, um, to come in and, 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 and fix things up for me, um, and so he was pretty good about coming in and saying, you know, look, you're you're going to need to cut this. And I, I re- new new designers starting out, like if you are getting serious about publication, it's not necessarily your job to do this. It might be the publisher's job to do this, but you need to be willing to let the game get developed. And 
And I my my closest analogy is if you if Harry Potter had not been edited, you probably wouldn't have enjoyed reading it. Right. And, but and, and you love Harry Potter, so you know. And it's it's her amazing writing, and it's also like someone very skilled at editing came in and, and helped her. And my proof for that is that like one of the Harry Potters, I think five, I feel like she had enough clout over the editor that it became less like the editor became less powerful. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that book started to meander. So just just for instance, it's still yeah. a great book. I'm not I'm not dissing it, but um, I think you need to be willing to have someone come in and say we need to cut these things for you. As far as as far as actual flow goes, making the game fast, it's any time you're doing two things that I start to worry. So like. The original goblins, you would draw, you would roll dice to see how many tokens you drew from a pool to assign to the tribes, and I was just like this, you know. Yeah, so the dice take up a certain amount of time. The drawing takes up a certain amount of time. Some of the some of the tokens then told you to draw cards, and I was like, no, this all has to be one step, and 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 so then we that's how we started working on the goblins. The goblins, if you think the goblins are long now, if anyone listening thinks the goblins are long now. Um, they were much longer. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they would be like a four-minute turn, wow. and then and then the goblins would get to the end of it and go, "I can't do anything," and <laughs> and play with pass. So yeah, and it, not, nothing like David. It was his first design. I'm not I'm not knocking him. No, it's just the process. It's figuring out what takes too long and what you know. The other day I was working on a, a game and working on a combat system, and I love this combat system. And then I play tested it, and the turns took like two to three minutes. And I'm like, this is, this is stupid. This is way too long. And so I had to rework the whole thing. And you brought up a good point with development. Having somebody yeah. look at your game that's not like your dog or your best friend or your mom yeah. or the other co-designer. Somebody come in and look at it and say, this is broken. This is wrong. This needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. This needs so much value in that. Uh, and, and, and in doing that, and that, that is the difference between a really great game and just a, a good game. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree completely. So, and then I, if I think for flow too, if you focus on having a constant action that the player is taking, like anytime there's a maintenance, to take that out and focus on how do you make the maintenance so it's part of the player's action, right. um, then then you can do a lot. I I recommend people go play um, Flower or Katamari Damacy hmm. on the on the video game, yeah. and when you've captured that feeling of constant motion, um, then I, then I think you're you're getting there. And I, I like that's that's something I aspire to. I don't know if Bass has reached that point, but um, that's that's what I work on. So. Yeah, well, at least chasing it, you're more likely to get it than not chasing yeah. it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think you bring up a good point with procedure. Anytime anytime you can take away procedural elements and make it one thing as opposed to three things, you know, as opposed to rolling dice, then doing something, was there a way we can just jump right to the doing of the something and, right. and get, get away from that procedure? It's going to speed up the game, make it flow better. Yeah. I, I'm really, I'm excited. I'm working on Vast 2 right now. Uh, there's a work in progress thread for it on BGG, if anyone's interested. And like the, the new horde is, I think going to be like much smoother. Like I've learned a lot about how to, how to fix that. So um, so we'll see. I actually made an alternate version of the Goblins even after the game was published, and I was like, these are even faster. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one's played them. So. Right. Uh, another thing you, you talked about was learning how to change your prototypes quicker and make mm-hmm. faster iterations. Tell me about that. What, what do you mean by, by that? How did you figure out how to do that better and faster? Uh, sure. So I, um, I'm a software developer originally, okay. and there's this kind of style 
coming out right now called Agile Development, and I, I kind of bastardize Agile. I, I don't I don't profess to be any good at project management or Agile Development. But what I learned to do, um, like kind of the design process for me, and what made like what what got me away from like like actually got me to doing it correct like correctly for me was I felt like in the game industry before I don't know 2010 I. A lot of people, when they sat down to play a game as a prototype, they wanted to have everything done. Hmm. Like they wanted the game to like it didn't have to look how it was going to look, but it, but at least all the text had to be there. It had to be formatted correctly. All the rules had to be written. The rules had to be written to a point that somebody could pick them up and play the game. Right. And there is definitely a time and a place for what I just said, and that is towards the end of the project. Mm-hmm. Like I. For me, it was just it just was soul crushing to have to like completely think of every part and have every part moving correctly, and then sit down with it and be like, okay, this is how the game works, and we're not going to change anything. We're just going to play it like this. And they, they're definitely like I'd say fifty percent of the way that the project you shouldn't be making changes to the rules mid game. But I sat down and I played a lot of Knight versus Goblin games, and I and I and I just ground on the night until it worked correctly for me and. Uh, and sometimes I would just be like, you know what, this card doesn't do this anymore. I'm gonna change it right now. And you see that in playtesting all the time. Yeah. But just be willing to do it. And and so for me, like there was a lot of just like, I'm gonna try it this way this turn. I'm gonna try it this way this turn. And then when something hooked onto the narrative that I wanted, or the or the the flow that I wanted, then I started building. Um, then I started building the game around that instead of having just this frustrating like sitting at the computer and just working and working and working and working. But what I took from Agile development then is that as you prototype, I, I just keep things very simple and I'll be like, okay, I just need to change X this game. I'll go over to the computer, I'll you know change it, or I'll go to the card and just write on it and then we'll play test it. And so there's a lot of little iterative steps um, that, I can, that I can bang out very quickly that way until I can get the, the right thing I want. Is there a better design for Vast? Like, maybe. Like maybe there's a better design to support that narrative, but this is what we ended up with by iterating very quickly. Yeah. So, and I'm also was never afraid of. Uh, some people talk about like, you know, I'm probably like a terrible designer, uh, but some people talk about like, well, you should once you're testing, you should only change one thing at a time, uh, and so then you can isolate what's not working. And I never, <laughs> I never do that. Yeah. <laughs> not until later. I would change everything if I if I needed to. If I felt like something wasn't working, I would just pull it and, and start working on it. So I, I I tend to rely on my gut more than um, more than this analytical process yeah. that gets you from. And I think that's what's cool about game design. You can take the very very scientific approach of only change one variable at a time in your experiment. You can take that approach and it works. Or you can go, you know what? I'm changing ten things for this next play test, and we're going to see what right. happens. And it works right. too. There, there is no like best way. I don't think a best way or the right way. It's like this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do, and we're going to see what happens. Yeah, I just, I just felt like there was a lot of resistance to doing that way um, earlier, and yeah. now I, now, I, now it's all open. I can do whatever I want. So yeah. No one, no one cares. Right. My, yeah. I mean, my concern now would be if people disagree with me too much. <laughs> so. Then I'm worried. So, yeah. so yeah, that's how I play test. I call it play creation. I should write more about it, but I don't. Uh, I haven't. I haven't done it lately. Yeah, you should. You could trademark that. That phrase. Play creation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. So let's talk about the pros and cons of asymmetrical play. What you know? First of all, what are what are the what are the good things about having every player have a different thing they're doing, different experience, different rule set in your case? Right. Right. 
So this is the one I always point to and go neener to every other designer mm-hmm. on the planet. I know, like, familiar, like, I don't know what games you're familiar with, but a lot of games struggle with the first player is going to have a huge advantage. Right. Right? Like, that's, like, if everything's symmetrical, then the first player might have a huge advantage or might have a might have a really poor starting. It depends on the game, of course. Yeah. Sometimes the last player has the advantage. And because the roles have a built-in play order, that is just assumed to be part of playing the role. You know, like, so the knight goes first. And it, and it makes sense from a narrative standpoint. The knight walks into the cave and starts messing around with stuff, and everything wakes up and responds to her. And um, it's an advantage, but nobody thinks about it as an advantage because it's just how she plays. Right. She gets the first turn. She basically has, I would say, two turns where she can do anything that she wants because nobody's really developed their position enough to stop her. Um, and so that's that's just part of playing the knight. Um, so I, I've always really enjoyed that about the asymmetry design. Is I don't have to think about that, which is kind of a like petty thing, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take I'll take what I can get. Yeah, <laughs> and I think the um, I think the other thing I really like about it is that it lets me. So I, I think a lot of adventure games kind of fall into this like trap where something you go to a space and something happens, and there's no mechanic for it. It's just the card is like a skill test or, you know, you roll to fight the creature on the card or whatever like that. But with Vast, I feel like, the you know, like I, there are event cards and they do random stuff to you, but that's such a small part of the game. I mean, the main part is that, you know, if you're the knight, there's these goblins and you know where they are and you know what they're up to. They're trying to get you. And there isn't just a random encounter with the goblins a bunch of times until you win or lose the game. It's a very deliberate, concentrated effort, to, and and that, I think that builds a very strong narrative for the player. Like like there's, it's not just blundering around in the dark and some stuff happens and then you win or lose. It's you, you focus on this. Oh, and the other the other positive, I like the other two positives are like the um, players of very different skill levels can play very very together very easily. Uh, you see a lot of um, experienced board gamers gravitating towards the goblins in the cave because they have a little bit. Um, their gameplay is more subtle and requires a, um, a bit more. Um, it's a bit more challenging, we'll say. Yeah. And whereas you know, and that's good because then I can teach new people. I say, well, why don't you play the knight? Why don't you play the dragon to start the game? Um, to start learning how to play the game. As the dragon, all you have to do is stay away from the knight and do these other things at the same time, and you win. And so I, I think that's good. And I, and I I also like that like there's a lot of groups that I've talked to who have been like well you know when we don't feel like all playing the same thing then we can play vast and we can all play our own little game yeah. and still be still be involved in it together. Obviously the the downside is that it just required a Herculean amount of testing. Like yeah. it just it just we just had to keep testing over and over and over. And even after we published it, you know there were questions that were like, you know why you know why didn't you guys think of this edge case? And it's like. You know, we did. We even addressed it, but like maybe it wasn't the best for balance. So I, I the one I, the one I we're working with right now is that if the dragon is down to one health and the knight sits on the entrance, the dragon can't really do anything about it. Yeah. And and I'm I'm of the opinion that if the knight gets the dragon down to one health, they, they probably should just won by now anyway. Then they're just being a jerk by doing <laughs> right. that. But um, <laughs> but maybe it does need to be fixed. Maybe we could do something about that. So. And I we just never really I never really thought about it and then like the group started reporting it over and over and I was like what are you guys doing that you keep them ending up in the situation because I would have just killed the dragon by that point yeah but, been done with it 
Yeah, yeah. So there, there's that. I mean, it, it's really hard to think about the edge cases. Anytime I want to add something to the game, I have to do a lot more testing. Uh, I, during the second campaign, we added three more roles, um, and they have been frustrating to test. I've been having the business part of publishing a game has been keeping me away from the design part, and I'm depending a lot on Kyle Wolfel, the developer, to work on the, on the add-ons. And I, I have been testing, and I have had a lot of input into their design, but um, it's, you know, it's one of those things things where I wish I could work on. So of course, you know, we wish we could do everything more, but yeah. um, that's how it goes. So, so yeah, the, the testing has been pretty frustrating. Um, and then I, Jamie Stegmeyer talked a little bit about this in one of his quick overviews. And he said that, you know, like if I thought he said, like, I thought this was going to be more important. Like people would be doing a lot of, um, a lot of asymmetric designs from now on, but from like a, a selling standpoint, it's really hard to sit people down for a demo and teach them four little games. You know, yeah. like that's 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 not how we sell games now. And I was like, oh yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. So there, yeah. I mean, those. I think those are the the, the challenges. Is that is that I I would like to work on more asymmetric games, but I think I'll make and I, I'll keep working on vast titles. But I think I would like to make the future asymmetric games maybe not as asymmetric yeah to make it easier to well, like you said it's just a bear when it comes to testing and when it comes to figuring yeah. out all the different things because like you're saying it is literally four or five different games going on that are interacting with each other different win yeah. conditions different things so let's talk about that challenge with the rule book because when somebody wants to play vast it's like okay well you have to learn this if you're going to play the full deal you got to learn it four or five times because you're doing four or five different roles. So let's talk about the what you learned in creating the rules. Sure. So we did alleviate some of the pressure by having the um, separate rule sheets. That's a big one I love. You don't have a rule book. You have rule sheets. And so you yeah. can say, here's yours, here's yours, here's yours. You can all kind of yep. read at the same time, which is awesome. Everyone's down to two pages. Yep. And that, that presented some challenges to us because um, that two-page count per character introduced the problem that um, it's hard to discuss strategy in two pages. Like there wasn't a ton of room left over. Yeah. And we wrestled a lot at whether we were going to, we're going to fit strategy in. I mean, I'm, I'm probably over 400 games played at this point. Wow. And uh, there are things that I will do during demos, you know, like not during demos, but if I'm playing a regular game with new people, they'll be like, you can do all that. And I'm like, yeah, it's all, it's like the rules allow for everything I just did. Um, and it, it just, it's like, it's just because I have this insight into like what's going to happen in two or three turns that you get from playing over 100 games or something. And, and so we wrestled a lot with, do I write that strategy out and let people read it, or do I let people discover like how to how to play each role? And I, I did recently write something about the goblins, and immediately I, like people were like, well, you need to write one now for all the roles. And I was like, well, I didn't want to spoil the game. Like I think that's part of the that's part of the fun of the game. I, I only did the goblin one because I think. On the surface, you can know the rules and you can know how to play the goblins, but to do well at them, you do need to be like um, a couple turns ahead of the other players. So yeah. I was willing to do that. So yeah, that was a challenge. The other big challenge was that, and I, I see this all the time, and I, I think the second printing rules helped, but maybe not fixed it all completely, was people will overgeneralize rules from one, like sometimes you do need to do this. Like there are parts of the rules that we only were able to fit into one section. Like how the cave collapses is only in the cave section. And so some people were like, well, if the cave's not in the game, we just didn't read the cave rules. Hmm. And then they they find out later that they were doing something very wrong because yeah. they didn't know they didn't know what the rules were. So that like 
how often do you repeat content? Like, you know, how many sections do I have to put the same content in because they have to know it as part of their role? Or do I assume that people read the entire rule book, which is my assumption. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, that was a very frustrating part about the rules to write was that, that we just didn't know when and how much to repeat things. I think we hit the right balance this time. I'm hearing much less, we're getting much less questions, even though we send it out to far more people. Um, and we're, we're seeing a lot, we're not seeing the same problems over and over. And I feel like when there's a question, it's more about an edge case than, uh, than like a core part of the rule. So I think we, I think we got it there. Um, obviously, you know, I, rules could always be better unless it's ticket to ride where it's you know, pretty simple. <laughs> Perfect. Huh? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, no, just want to, I love ticket to ride. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, just, it's very easy to teach. So that, yeah, that happened. And then just the fact that it is two pages, like if we want to do anything tricky for like a future design, we won't be able to, like we have to get, we have to make all the rules two pages, I I feel like um, from here on out, so. Yeah, let's let's talk about advice. What advice would you give somebody who's working on an asymmetrical game or wanting to or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. So advice for working on an asymmetrical game, I would say focus on the way VAST was designed. Do two things. Do two players. Do two roles, and make sure that those work really well, mm-hmm. and then start adding the third one. I th- I think it is possible to sit down and design all four at the same time or all five at the same time, but you're going to be able to see a lot. Don't worry about balance either, but until you have all the roles. But with the two players, you'll build you'll be able to focus on just getting flow correct and getting the gameplay correct. We even talked at one point about making the um, we just threw it out there and we got thrown out pretty quickly, but making the base set only 30 tiles, only the knight, only the goblins, and just having a very simple game that people could buy. Mm-hmm. And then the dragon and the cave would have been an expansion. I think that would have been a mistake, um, but but it was discussed. And you know, obviously, I, I won that argument. So um, <laughs> you can buy all five rolls. And so... I, I think that's how you should start is is just to start with a small thing and then and then start adding to it or dividing the what's there into um, into other pieces. So I mean my advice. I mean I, I already covered it, but I think having a developer or someone else to even read it for you and go, why don't we just take this out? I mean I know you like this part of the game, but um, you know it's not really doing much for you. It's not really increasing the decision depth. Um, you know just just go ahead and take this part out. So that's my advice. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Patrick, again, really appreciate you coming on the show. Really appreciate your insight. We're actually going to head over into a bonus round. I'm going to ask Patrick okay. about when do you know a game is done? How do you know a game is ready uh, to kind of put the put the check mark and say, all right, it's finished, send it out the door? We're going to talk about that over in the bonus round. So, sure, sure. Patrick, good luck with everything you got going on right now. Yeah, and then also watch for, um, we'll be doing, a, probably in April at this point, we'll be doing, uh, we're doing a 4X uh, asymmetric uh, space civilization game called Deep Enemy Frontiers. We'll be putting that up on Kickstarter very soon. And then my my goal is to have Vast 2 ready by Gen Con and start the Gen, uh, the Kickstarter at Gen Con. Cool, man. That all sounds great. Yeah. Good luck with everything. All right. Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at BoardGameDesignLab.com. And until next time, Keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?